0: like what a story. What a story. But you see right at the heart of it, it's a story of succession. Let me show you one of the most famous depictions of this transfer from Elijah to Elisha, from mentor to mentee, from master to disciple. This is a piece of art from the 12th century. It's by Nicholas of Verdun. It's called Ascension of Elijah. And you can see in that Elijah in a chariot, although the text doesn't actually say that Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot. It says that the, the horses in the chariot divided Elijah and Elisha, and then Elijah was taken up, not in a chariot, but in a whirlwind. It's funny how we misread the Bible sometimes. And you know that song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Coming for the Carry Me Home, which is based on that song, or based on this text, it's not quite right. But then again, it's the English that sing that during rugby song, so that's okay. Sorry for anyone from England. Martin, sorry, apologize. Rachel, sorry, anyone else. Uh, But this this piece of art shows uh, Elijah going up to heaven in a chariot, and it also shows him handing on his cloak to Elisha. Again, it's not in the text. The cloak falls to the ground. And Alicia has to pick it up. Anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this story slowly and see what we can learn. Do you know, there comes for a time for a change in leadership. There comes a time for a new person to step in or step up. There comes a time when the person who has been there in that position and in that role does need to be replaced. They need to step aside. They need to step down. They need to let someone else take over because new energy is needed. New vision is needed. New input is needed. And Elijah has been God's spokesman now for quite some time and ever since he appeared in the pages of scripture back in 1st kings 17 for those who have been tracking this elijah has effectively dominated the narrative he's dominated the narrative for 7 chapters he's a key character in the story from 1st kings 17 right up to and including 2nd kings chapter 1 but now it's time to move on or it's time to move up literally It's time to allow someone else to pick up the mantle and take it from here. And God, as often happens, has got the person lined up. In fact, back in 1 Kings 19, we read that God instructed Elijah to go and anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet. And so Elijah goes and he finds Elisha plowing in a field and he throws his cloak over his shoulders to symbolize, listen, Elisha, you are next up. And so at that point back in 1 Kings 19, Elisha left his plowing, he left his land, and he went and he shadowed Elijah for I don't know how long. But from 1 Kings chapter 17 or 19 through to now, we hear nothing more of Elisha until 2 Kings chapter 2. Why? Because now it's time for a change in leadership. Change in leadership needs to happen in all kinds of contexts. And so we read in the, in the first line of the first verse that the Lord is going to take Elijah. He's going to take him up to heaven in a whirlwind, which if nothing else as you start reading this chapter, it grabs your attention. Like, what does that mean? I mean, it's just weird. It's just a bizarre thought. What does it mean the Lord is going to take his servant to heaven in a whirlwind? Why does it have to happen like that? How exactly is it going to happen? Well, it turns out, and you'll have noticed this from the text, that there's quite a few people who know about this. There's a company of prophets at Bethel. Look at verse three. It says, the company of prophets at Bethel, they came out to Elisha and they said, do you know that the Lord's gonna take your master from you today? Another company of prophets, not in Bethel this time, but in Jericho, they're also in the loop. And so they come out to Elisha and they say, listen, Elisha, do you know that the Lord is gonna take your master from you today? Now, how they knew isn't important. They just did. Although it's interesting to note how some people seem to be aware of impending change prior to others. Now, before we kind of look at Elisha's response to what must have been shocking news, I want us to notice Elijah's obedience, his obedience to God right to the very end. You see, in verse 2, we read, God sent Elijah to Bethel. Where does Elijah go? He goes to Bethel. In verse four, God sends Elijah to Jericho. Where does Elijah go? He goes to Jericho. In verse six, God sends Elijah to the Jordan. Where does Elijah go? He goes to the river Jordan. You see, Elijah listens to God and obeys him to the very end, right to the very end. Elijah is someone, and I know this is a a thing we've been talking about a lot. Elijah is someone who finishes well. And I know that is the heart cry of many people here. You want to finish well. You know, it's not just how we start out on this Christian journey. It's how we finish. Elijah finished well. And you know, on Wednesday night at our prayer meeting together, that was the audible prayer that was shared by one person. God, help me to finish well. Well, Elijah did. And so how does Elisha react to this news that Elijah is leaving him? Well, Luke, have a look at verses 3 and 5, because both times Elisha said, yes, I know. So actually, Elisha was in the loop. He knew that Elijah was going to be taken from him. But then what does he say next? He says, so be quiet. Now, why does he say that? Well, he says it because you see the prospect, the thought of losing someone incredibly close to him. It was not something that Elisha wanted to talk about. It was not something Elisha wanted to hear. It was not something Elisha wanted to discuss. And later on, whenever it actually happened, whenever Elijah was taken from him, what does Elisha do? He rips his garment apart as a gesture of intense grief. And you see, in the midst of this weird and wonderful story, do not miss the humanity. Do not miss the raw emotion. Yes, Elijah is taken to heaven, and that is brilliant, and that is amazing, but left behind is someone whose heart is breaking. The person that's left behind is devastated and distressed. So we're rushing ahead. I'll say more about that in a moment, but in verse 7, Elisha and Elijah are on the last stage of their journey together, and they reach the Jordan River, and they stop because they have to. Because how are they going to get across? They've nowhere to go. God has sent them to this place, or God has sent Elijah. Elijah didn't want Elisha to go with him, but actually Elisha said, I'm not leaving you, so he's there with him. So the two of them are standing, staring at the Jordan. And they have an audience. Fifty men from the company of prophets are now watching them. So what's going to happen? Well, Elijah takes off his cloak. And he rolls it up. And he strikes the Jordan. And it splits in two. And both men walk across on dry ground. And what does this sound exactly like? What does it sound like? Moses. It all sounds so Moses-like. And even this whole idea of succession from Elijah to Elisha. this sounds very like from Moses to who? Joshua. And it's meant to. And so the two men are now on the far side of the Jordan. They've walked through and dry ground. The 50 spectators, it says, can no longer see them. They got to see one miracle, but they're not going to see the best one. It must have been frustrating. And so on the far side, Elijah turns around to Alyssa and he says, listen, I am about to leave you. So name the last thing you want me to do for you. How's Elisha going to respond? How would you have responded? You can have anything you want. You've watched me. You've shadowed me. You've walked with me. You've seen what I've done. What do you want me to do for you? There's a last thing. One final wish. Well, Elisha doesn't appear to take any time to answer. He immediately replies, I'd like your spirit, but make it a double. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. That was a huge ask. And it's why immediately Elijah turns around him and says, Alicia, you've asked for a difficult thing. You've asked for a really difficult thing. Now someone, or some people who have read this, when they hear, when they read what Alicia asks for, they say, God, oh, That's audacious. That's a brass neck and a half. That's a bit bold. But I don't think it's so much audacious as it is anxious. Because you see, Alicia knew, I've got big shoes to fill. I'm going to need significant help to pick up this mantle from Elijah. I know my weaknesses. I know my limits. And so do you know what? I'm going to ask for a lot of help I need help and then some. I need twice what you had is one way, and I know it's only one way of understanding this, but it's the simplest way that I can come up with. I need twice what you had. And those of you who know the rest of the story know actually that Elisha goes on to do two times as many miracles as Elijah did. Elijah did 14, Elisha did 28. But Elisha here on, this, on the far side of Jordan says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And so how does Elijah respond? After he says, you've asked a difficult thing, he says this, well, I'll tell you what, Elisha, here's the way it's gonna work. See, if you see me when I'm taken, it's gonna be yours. But if you don't see me, it won't. Now, that's pretty clear, but that's quite scary. And so you can only imagine that Elisha had his eyes fixed on Elijah. I am not letting you out of my seat. And then it happens, verse 11. Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them out of somewhere This blazing chariot and blazing horses come between Elisha and Elijah. And Elijah, it says, goes up to heaven in a whirlwind. It's unusual to say the least. But look at the next verse, because how it starts is critical. Elisha saw this. If you see this, if you see me, then the double portion's yours. Elisha saw that. But just before we discover what that actually meant and led to, note what Elisha does the minute Elijah is taken. He cries out, my father, my father. And then he rips his garment. You see, even though this is breathtaking and this is dramatic and this is wonderful, this is also hard. It hurts. This is deeply distressing. And therefore, even though we still say things, and we're right to say things like this, that God calls his people home. And it's true, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and it's incredible. But we must also realize, as if we didn't, that for those who are left, there's pain and there's heartbreak. And the Bible recognizes that. But sometimes we read these stories and we skim over the raw human emotion because we want the big story. We want the double portion. We don't see. Listen, here's a guy whose heart is breaking because God has called his mentor, his closest friend home. And Elisha is devastated. And so, having seen Elijah go, the question now is, how will he discover if his request has been answered? How will he discover if he's got that double portion? Well, Elisha needs to go back across the Jordan. So, how's he going to do that? Because Elijah's gone. Well, verse 13 says, And this this is really important. Verse 13 says Elisha picks up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. Intentionally picks up the cloak. Wasn't told to do it, wasn't handed on to him. He intentionally picks it up. And imagine how he's feeling. He's holding this cloak, he's standing staring at the Jordan. And with the ledger's cloak in his hand, he decides, I'm gonna have a go at this. I'm gonna have a go at this. Can you imagine how he's feeling? So he raises the cloak and he strikes the river. But I love what he says. Did you notice it? He shouts out, Where now is the Lord the God? of Elijah. Yeah, Elijah is gone, but God, are you still here? Are you still with me as you were with Elijah? Is Elisha going to be able to do what Elijah could do? Is the spirit of Elijah now resting on Elisha? Has he received a single portion, never mind a double? Well, look at the last sentence of verse 14, when he struck the water It divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over, and it has happened, and his request has been granted. And into the bargain, the 50 spectators who were on the far side of the river, they haven't gone anywhere. They have been standing there waiting to see what has happened to those two guys. They have watched Elisha strike the river from the far side and have seen him walk through on dry ground. And what do they say? They say, the spirit of Elijah is resting on you, Elisha. The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha and they went to him and they bowed to the ground before him. And so what does Elisha then go and do? He goes and ministers and serves in the place of his ascended master empowered by the God-given spirit of Elijah. Please let me say that again because that is the big headline. Elijah goes and ministers and serves in the place of his ascended master empowered by the God-given spirit of his master. And we must not miss the implications of this, the crossover for us, because the next person, the next master who was to ascend to heaven in a similarly dramatic fashion was Jesus 850 years later, and his disciples saw him, and they went from that event, and they were empowered by the God-given Spirit of Jesus in order to serve God for the rest of their lives. And we, as the church, every single one of us who are part of the body of Christ, we now find ourselves situated just like Elisha and those first disciples, Because our master, Jesus, our mentor, Jesus, has ascended, miraculously ascended to heaven, and he has empowered every single one of us with the spirit of Jesus. And so we go to serve our ascended master in the power of his spirit. And do you know what Jesus actually said to his disciples before he was taken up to heaven, before he ascended, the only person to ascend after the do you know what he said to his disciples? Very truly I tell you, this is John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, says Jesus, will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Do we get that? That Jesus has said that we will do even greater things than him because he's going to the Father. He has ascended to the Father, but he has given us his spirit who lives in us And we can now go and be Jesus to every man, woman, and child. So here's the issue Are we going to pick up the mantle? Are you going to intentionally pick up the mantle and go serve? Well, just as a close, 2 Kings 2. How does it finish? Well, Elisha goes back to Jericho, and he waits for those three days because the 50 guys at the far side are convinced. Hey, hey, hey What happened to Elijah? Where would he go? Like, has the spirit taken him and dropped him off some mountain, some valley, somewhere? We, we want to go and do a reiki. And Elisha says, "There's no point. He's gone." But he says, "If you really want to do it, go do it." So for three days they go and search, and they come back after three days and say, I "Can't find him." And he goes, "Told you so." And so whenever he's back in Jericho and then he moves on to Bethel, there's two things that happen, two things that happen that confirm, Elisha, you are now God's man. You're now God's spokesperson. You are now walking and living as your master did. And so in Jericho, there's a problem with the water It's bad, and as a result, lots of people are dying, and the land's unproductive. And so Elisha says, give me a bowl, and he puts salt in it, and he throws the salt into the spring that supplies Jericho with water, and he declares, this is what the Lord says, I've healed the water, never again is it going to cause death, never again is the land going to be unproductive, and right enough, the water is miraculously purified. And so then in Bethel, or rather on the road to Bethel, there's this bunch of young people who come out in Jerem and call them names. And Elisha calls down, curse from heaven. And the next minute, two birds come roaring out of somewhere, out of the woods, it says, and they maul 42 young people. And so you've got this one incident of grace and this one incident of healing and this one incident of deliverance. And then on the other hand, you've got this other incident of judgment and harm and warning and disaster. And you see, as God's new spokesperson, Elisha is going to bring words and messages of both kinds. He's going to speak words of outrageous grace. And he's going to speak words of inevitable judgment. And do you know why? Because God speaks those words. God's word is characterized by outrageous words of grace, and at the same time, disturbing and distressing words of impending judgment. And as we go from this place, as we go to walk as our ascended master walked, empowered by a full portion of the Holy Spirit, we must learn to speak and share both those kind of words with our families and our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues and our classmates. We've got to speak words of grace. But we also got to speak truth. And we got to speak those hard words as well. We've got to speak them with grace and with love. We, we got to speak the hard words when the opportunity arises. And so the story ends. And we'll continue it next week in chapter three. But here are my four points in light of that intriguing chapter. We need to be open to new leadership because, do you know, there is a time for change. There is. We need to be obedient to the very end. We need to finish well. We need to be sensitive to people's loss. And we need to be just like Elisha who empowered by the spirit of his master picked up the mantle and went and lived and spoke for God for the rest of his days.